And he said to her, you are infertile, but you are going to conceive and have a son. And the purpose of God shall be upon him from his birth. And he will begin the deliverance of Israel from the hands of the Philistines. Verse 24, the woman gave birth to a boy and named him Samson. He grew and the Lord blessed him. And the Spirit of the Lord descended upon Samson and began to stir within him while he was still in Zorah. I talked about Samson last week. I want to conclude the series on him, brief as it is. The man was such a great beginning. His birth announced by the angel of the Lord. His purpose announced by the angel of the Lord, Jesus himself, before Samson was ever born. And the purpose was not to bring the Israelites closer to God. If such was the purpose, Samson failed beyond anything imaginable. His purpose was to deliver the Israelites from the hands of the Philistines, who had been ruling over them, for some 40 years by the time that Samson was born. He was a man with such a great beginning, greater than Abraham, greater than Moses or David, because there is no one else in the Bible who upon his birth is blessed by God. And there is no one else in the Bible of whom it says that the Holy Spirit descended upon him and stirred within him Not Abraham, not Moses, not David, only one other, and that is Jesus himself, who as he began his ministry, God said to him upon his baptism, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And no sooner did he say that, than all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit came down upon him in the form of a dove. Where did he go wrong? Blinded at the end of his life, shorn of his great strength when his hair is cut, thrown into prison, tortured and ridiculed. Where did he go so wrong? The Bible says it's written for doctrine, for teaching. Then it says it's written in order to correct us. For doctrine, for reproof, for instruction in righteousness. Where did Samson go so wrong? Mentioned last week, when he left home for the first time, he went to the wrong place. He goes to Timnah, four miles south of Zorah. And Timnah is the village that belongs to the Philistines. From Timnah, they would launch their attacks against the Israelites. And that's where Samson goes not to negotiate a peace deal with the Philistines. He has none of that in his mind. He goes to Timnah because he's looking for a wife. I mentioned last week that there are holy places on this earth. Matthew twelve twenty eight says, Wherever the Spirit of God is, there the kingdom of God is. You bring the Spirit of God with you to a place, the place becomes holy. 
doesn't matter whether it's a high school or a football team or the marching band or the union house that you go to. doesn't matter whether you jump in a truck and drive to Missouri. Wherever you are, if the Spirit of God is within you, that place becomes sanctified by God Himself. But we also realize that places on this earth are unholy. And that is where the Bible says, don't go here. Sermon on the Mount, if you desire to follow the path of righteousness, the kingdom of God will be yours. If you desire a different path, path of wealth, path of power, path of lust, if you desire a different path, the kingdom of God is not in that place. I mentioned the Garden of Eden at one of the services last week. I can't remember which one. Garden of Eden, the holiest place God ever created on this earth. There is no sin in the Garden of Eden. But even in the Garden of Eden, God had a specification. He said, there are thousands of trees in this garden. 99.9% of the place in the Garden of Eden is holy. It is blessed by God. It is sanctified by God. But there is one place. There is one tree. It is called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Stay away from that one place in the garden. Don't eat of the fruit. Don't touch it. Don't get close to it. The holy place, Garden of Eden, one little segment, not holy. And where do Adam and Eve head? To the place that's not holy. There's someone sitting up in that tree. His name is Satan, and he's whispering to them, and they just edge a little bit closer and a little bit closer. And the longer they spend time in the unholy place, the greater the danger they're in. And the more they listen to this voice in the unholy place, the greater danger they're in. He said, did God say this to you? God does surely lie. Yeah, God's good, but He's not all that good because He knows if you eat of that fruit, you become as wise as God. And Adam and Eve fall. In that unholy place, Adam and Eve fall. What happens to them when they fall? Does God say, I gave it my best shot? They've fallen. I can't go after them because they've fallen. They've sunk into darkness. They've listened to the voice of Satan. Is that what God says? God says, I will follow them down into the dark place. Maybe David, when he wrote Psalm 139, maybe he's thinking about Adam and Eve. Or maybe David was thinking about himself. The sin, 2 Samuel 11 with Bathsheba. Maybe David was thinking about himself. He said, can any of us go into a place so dark that we cannot see God and He cannot see us? And then David answers his own question. Whether it's Samson, or whether it's Moses, or whether it's Abraham, there is no darkness so deep that God's light cannot shine. Samson went to a place he shouldn't have gone. 
I mentioned at one service last week, a dear lady, 20 years ago. I'm sitting in a meeting. She's present in the meeting. Her phone goes off. She looks at the caller ID and instantly she jumps out of her chair. She heads out into the hallway. And uh, she's gone for a little bit. Then she pops her head back in and she said, I'm sorry, i got to leave. And I, concerned about what was going on, I followed her out and I said, is everything all right? Is everything all right with your family? And she said, Pastor, I just got a call from my daughter. She's at her friend's house. She's had this friend for ten years. But she just called me and said, there was a party going on at this house and her parents are not around and I don't feel safe any longer. Can you come and get me? That lady was in church last week. And she talked to me after the service. She said, that was the proudest moment I ever had as a parent. She was in a place that was holy to her. She always felt comfortable. But evil had crept in. And she wanted to leave that place that wasn't holy and wasn't safe. We have computers. Computers can be very holy things. March of 2020, we started live streaming. We had talked about doing it two years earlier, but we thought, no, we shouldn't do it because people be tempted to stay at home in their bathrobes, drinking their coffee. And we don't want that to happen. But here comes COVID, and here comes God, and guess what we're doing? I talked to a lady yesterday. She said, you know, my husband is a bit handicapped, and we live uh, downtown Chicago. I can't drive all the way to your church, but I've been listening to your services online from day one. And I want to join your church. Can I join your church if I never step foot inside the building? Can I join your church if I'm just listening online? I said, I'm going to send you the papers tomorrow. The computer can be a very holy thing. But I need not tell you there are unholy places on our computers. Places that devastate individuals and families. And then you have a situation where someone makes a football team or a cheerleading squad and someone else doesn't. And that individual spends three or four hours a day trying to ruin the reputation. You don't bully in person anymore. You bully online, Facebook and YouTube. Holy places on this earth. And then the places we are not to be. We have His Word. We have our conscience that blares loudly. And we have friends and family that come to us and say, What in the world are you doing? Do you know the danger you're in? He went to an unholy place. Secondly, he went for the wrong purpose. When he goes to Timnah, we learn something about Samson immediately. He goes down there looking for a wife. The Bible says that he sees a woman in Timnah. 
He sees her. In the Hebrew it says, she was pleasant in his eyes. He didn't know anything about her. He didn't know whether she was someone who liked Mexican food or Chinese food. He didn't know whether she had brothers and sisters. He didn't know whether she worshipped God or idols. He knew nothing about her. He laid his eyes on her. He said, man, what a beautiful face. She's got a nice figure. She'd make a good wife. And she goes back, he goes back and says to her dad, I found a woman, I want her, you go get her. You know what it's like for us. When you're young, peer pressure is everything. We want to appear good in the eyes of those who are of our age. The way they dress, we dress. The language that comes out of their mouth comes out of our mouth. The things they do, whether we feel comfortable with it or not, that's what we end up doing. It's like Samson. We fix our eyes on the things that are seen. Do we grow out of it? Not really. 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, Do we grow out of it? No. Whatever the neighbor's got, we want. Whatever my brother's got, I got to have it. Whatever my sister's got, I got to have it. Whatever my cousin's got, I got to have it. We go to these parties during the summer, and we hear what others have. And when we leave the party, we entered being in a good mood, and we leave in a bad mood. Because they got a better job than I do. They got a bigger house than I do. They got all of these accoutrements, and I don't have any. Apostle Paul, letter to the Corinthians. Don't fix your... Samson, don't fix your eyes on the things which... David, don't fix your eyes on Bathsheba. Moses, Abraham, don't fix your eyes on the things that are seen. Fix your eyes on the things that aren't seen. And those are the things that are of God. Deuteronomy 31.30, every Mother's Day we share this verse. It says, beauty is fleeting. Charm is deceptive. But the woman who fears the Lord is much to be praised. Samson went to the wrong place. And everything about Samson, handsome as he was, rugged as he was, strong as he was, everything about Samson was all about what his eyes could see. And it was nothing about the one that he could not see. Third and final point about Samson. He sought no wisdom from anybody. Samson appears to have no friends in the Bible. If you are as narcissistic as Samson was, it'd be difficult to have friends. If you had as wicked a temper as Samson had, it'd be difficult to have friends. There was someone who loved him, his mom and his dad. 
And when he goes down to Timnah and he says, Dad, you won't believe what a beautiful face she has and what a great figure she has. She'd make an awesome wife. And when his father says, Samson, what are you thinking? Don't do this, Samson. And Samson brushes him away and says, Go get her for me. The Bible speaks about wisdom all the time. From the first book, Genesis, to the last book, Revelation, the Bible is all about wisdom. I'm not just talking about Proverbs and Ecclesiastes written by Solomon. I'm talking about the entirety of the book. If it is written for doctrine, for teachings, that's wisdom. Here's teachings about God, about how you're to live on this earth, about how you're to view yourself and view others. That's wisdom. If it's written for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction and righteousness, it's all about wisdom. Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, blessed are this group of people. Blessed are those who mourn over their sin. Blessed are those who desire the path of righteousness. Blessed are those who extend mercy to others. Blessed are those who are peacemakers. His Sermon on the Mount is all about wisdom. The very last parable he shares, Matthew 25, you fed the hungry, you gave drink to the thirsty, you visited those sick and in prison. What is it? Words of wisdom from our Lord. When Solomon becomes king upon his father's death, 2 Kings 2, Solomon asks for one thing. He doesn't ask for riches. He doesn't ask for a beautiful wife. He doesn't ask for the death of his enemies. He asks for one thing. He asks for wisdom. God, give me wisdom to lead these people. I have no ability except it comes from you. When uh, David is making decisions, he prays for wisdom. When Daniel is making decisions, he prays for wisdom. When Moses is leading 1.2 million Israelites, out of his mouth comes a prayer for wisdom. Jesus himself, when he's on this earth, when he goes off into the wilderness by himself, when he climbs the mountain, what is he asking for? He's asking for wisdom. The last day of his life, lying face down the Garden of Gethsemane, what is he asking for? He's asking for wisdom. He's saying, Father, if there's some other way to do this without me dying on the cross, if there's some other way to save mankind, give me the wisdom to see that other way. But not my will, not my wisdom. Your wisdom, your will be done. How does wisdom come? Here. Here. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Here is where wisdom comes. Where does wisdom come from? Your conscience. Your conscience. Last night, a couple of houses down, that car beeper goes off. Okay, there's no one there. There's no one to shut it off. That thing just goes off. That car alarm goes off. And it's driving me crazy. And finally, after five or ten minutes, it stops. When your conscience goes off, 
It drives you crazy. And you want to say to your conscience, Hush up, I know what's best for me. And you go after that unholy thing in that unholy place. There is one other means whereby God grants wisdom. And that is the people sitting around you. It's other human beings. It's family or it's friends. They are the bestowers of wisdom. A couple of days ago I went to see an individual. I hadn't seen her in her house in 20 years. And I said three weeks ago, if God put someone in your head, you ought to move on it. I went to see her. And when I knocked on that door and said, can I come in and talk with you? She broke down into tears. And she spent about 45 minutes speaking about the anguish in her heart and the anguish in her life. I said a couple of things to her. I gave her a couple of suggestions. And before the day was out, she went. And she got what she needed and she sent me a picture of it. And she said, Pastor, I don't know why in the world you decided to come and see me today. All I can think about is God sent you at that moment. There are good therapists on this earth. In our parochial school, there are teachers who give wisdom from God's Word every single day. You can do that for someone else. I do it at the gym all the time. I do it in grocery stores. I do it at funerals and at weddings. You can do that all the time. You can dispense godly wisdom to a brother, to a sister, to a cousin, to a nephew, to a niece. That's one of the purposes God has given you on this earth. And when others come to you, you don't do what Samson did. You don't say to dad, hush your mouth, I know what's best, go get her for me. When God sends someone into your path, and you got something going on in your life, trust that God has sent that individual at that time to speak his words of wisdom. Samson, wrong place, wrong reason, listened to no one's wisdom but his own mind. I want to close with the last day of his life. As I was looking at this sermon a couple of days ago, I saw two words and it kind of gave me goosebumps because I realized someone else had spoken those same two words. 1,400 years later, someone else would speak those same two words. Here is Samson. He knew God from his child. He walked as far away from God as he possibly could. And it's the last day of his life. He's blind. He's been captured. He's in prison. There's a little boy next to him in the temple of Dagon. He says to the little boy, my legs are tired. Can you lean me against the pillar here in the temple? And the little boy leads him over to the pillar and he leans against the pillar. And there's another wooden pillar within arm's length. And he says this, he says, Lord, remember me. Remember me one last time. Give me strength to do 
the purpose you gave me before I was born. You remember the purpose to deliver the Israelites from the Philistines. He pushes against the pillar when the Spirit of God comes upon him, and 3,000 of the enemies of the Israelites die. Bible says he killed more Philistines on the last day of his life than in all the days preceding. Who else in the Bible said, remember me? Who else? The cross? The thief on the cross? He never had anything to do with God. But on that cross, a couple of hours after cursing Jesus, on the cross, he said, oh my goodness, I'm in the presence of the Son of God. And then he said the same two words. He said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Why is Samson in the Bible? Because of those two words. Why is Samson in Hebrews 11, the Hall of Fame chapter of faith? Why is he there? Those two words. Remember me. You and I pray it every single day. Remember me, Lord, today. And for those who have fallen into the deepest pit, Maybe for the first and only time in their life, they say, God, I'm a prodigal son. God, I'm a prodigal daughter. Remember me. And he comes quicker than lightning, and he saves. Story of Samson in our Savior's name. Amen. I'm going to let you stretch for a moment. Would you please rise as we pray? Stories in the Bible, there are surface reasons for them being in the Bible. But when you dive into these individuals' lives, you learn a lot about yourself. You sit and say, man, I'm like that. You learn a lot about the character himself. And you learn a lot about God that he never abandons. Pastor Schauer, when he read the Gospel, Jesus said, I will not lose any that God has given to me. Maybe Jesus was thinking about Samson when he said it. I will lose none that you have given to me. Lord, keep us close to you. And we would have prayed for Samson what we pray for us. May there never be a moment today that we do not realize your presence, your peace, and your strength. In our Savior's name, amen. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.